turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. And we've been talking about divine protection in these dangerous days that we're living in. And it's not just me saying they're dangerous days. The Bible says in the last days, dangerous, difficult, perilous times would come. And, but there is a way to live protected. And so that's what we're talking about. So tonight, as far as I can tell, I believe we need to be specific in a certain area about what we need to be believing for protection from. And, and it's in the... And now, if this is not an area that applies to you, just apply it to whatever area of your life you want protection in. We need to talk about protection from the devourer devouring our stuff. There is a divine protection. There's a protection from crazy people. There's a protection from bullets. There is supernatural protection from bombs and car accidents. There's supernatural protection from crazy people and outright demon assaults. And there's protection from all that. But there's also protection from disease. And there's also protection from the devourer devouring the increase that does come into our life are the good things that does come into our life. How many know if the devil had his way, he would steal all of our stuff, mess with our finances? It's his will. It's, here's, here's one way you can tell that God wants you wealthy is because the devil wants you broke. I mean, if you're a born-again Christian and your heart is to put God first, and to love other people and help the poor, why wouldn't he want you wealthy? Amen. See, the enemy wants the church and every believer broke. Because money helps us to preach the gospel. We talked about this a, a few months ago here on, on Wednesday nights about why should we be interested in prosperity? Well, because more money in the right hands means more people in heaven at the end of this thing called life. More money in the right hands means more people saved, healed, delivered, restored. I mean, this is one of the reasons the devil fights. He probably fights us harder in this financial area than any other area because he's the God of this world. He's got a grip on a lot of the silver and gold, but originally the silver and the gold was God's and it was for his people, not the devil and his crowd. Satan entered this world illegally, but Adam yielded to him. Adam committed high treason. Now the devil has a right to be here, and he's got his hands all over our money. And if you want to see some of your money, you know, your father's silver and gold come into your life, you're going to not just have to pray and be a nice Christian. You're going to have to take authority over those powers that have a grip on your money and command the devil to take his hands off your money and then speak, right, so the angels can work on your behalf and bring the increase into your life. Some people keep thinking, well, God just must not want me to prosper. You know, I've been tithing and praying. And, well, of course he wants you to prosper, but he's not the one holding it back. And there's no money in heaven to rain down. The money we need is in the earth realm, presided over by the devil, the God of this world. And one of the, one of the greatest struggles you'll have as a believer is in this financial area. And one reason is because most people don't think that the devil has anything to do with their being broke. That may be more than one ingredient. You know, maybe laziness is a part of it. I don't know. I could cause some prosperity not to come in your life. Uh, you know, maybe there's uh, somebody's living in sin. You know, that could hinder the prosperity of God from coming into your life. 
But one of the things that people need to do is they need to flat out tell the devil, take your hands off my money. I've sowed good seed. Take your hands off my harvest, devil. I bind you and your operations away from my increase. Claim the amount you need. Tell the angels to go forth and cause it to come in. And then believe it worked. Amen. You, you always got to believe. Don't just do things. Believe it worked. And picture the angels going out. And I figured, oh, let me ask you a question. How many of you know, through the scriptures, and maybe it's just some personal experience, how many of you know demons do their best to, and succeed at times, to influence people to do wrong things with their money, go to wrong places, invest wrongly? How many know a lot of times people don't even realize it, they're being swayed by evil forces to do things with their money that are destructive to their marriage, destructive to their health, destructive to other people. The devil can't make anybody do anything, but he sure does his best to influence people. And a lot of people have yielded to demon spirits who are trying to influence those people to do destructive things with their increase. Right. Well, if the devil can influence people to do bad things with their money, why couldn't angels influence people to do good things with their money. You know what I mean by that? Let's say you're the kind of person say, God, I got some increase. I got, I got a heart to bless somebody. Lead me, guide me. I want to be a blessing. How many of you know the angels are going to help you to know where to go, who to give to? See, the angels know where the needs are and where people are in faith. And just like he... We have been swayed ourselves to bless others. God wants to persuade others to help us when they're looking for a place to give and we have needs in our life. And I found out a long time ago, God doesn't just respond, can't just respond to people who have needs, who are in need, but he can respond to people who are in faith. Very important truth. So in Deuteronomy 28, I want to show you here that your finances can be under attack and we need the protection of the Lord in this area. What good is it to get increase if it's all gone in one year because of doctor's bills? What happened? You got the blessing from the Lord, but you didn't have the protection for some reason. Well, let's, let's get them both. Let's get the blessing of increase in our life and let's get the protection of God from the devourer, devouring our increase and really get ahead. And I don't know all the ins and outs of exactly how things like this happen, but a lot of times things break down supernaturally quick. And I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about the devil's a, a supernatural being. He's, he's a spirit being. Everything spiritual is not the Lord. And the, ch the children of Israel in the wilderness wandered for 40 years. In that whole 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. That's supernatural provision. I figure, man, if God protected his servants for 40 years, and the whole 40 years they were rebelling, why wouldn't he protect his children now, though we're not perfect yet? Right? And he's looking at the heart. You know, primarily the heart is what God's looking at. So in Deuteronomy 28, let's start in verse 33. Um, now, this is, he's talking here about curses that come upon the disobedient. And I want you to keep in mind that what we're reading here, Christ has redeemed us from. Amen. He has redeemed us from the evil that's supposed to come on the disobedient. Okay, I want you to, can you say that with me? Say this, Christ has, Christ has redeemed me, redeemed me from, the evil from the evil 
that's supposed to come on the disobedient. Anybody ever been disobedient? Raise your hand if you've ever, ever been disobedient to something you knew was right. Anybody ever been disobedient? So you and I need to be going, praise the Lord right now. Christ has redeemed me from the evil that's supposed to come on the disobedient. What's that called? That's called love and mercy and grace. And that's why we should be serving the Lord with everything we've got. We got all these blessings we didn't deserve. We don't get the punishment we do deserve. That right there should make you sell out to God and want to go to church every time the doors are open. <laughs> and do everything else he leads us to do. But these are the curses. I like to put it this way. Christ has redeemed me from bad things happening. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way. He's redeemed me from bad things happening to me and getting a hold of my life and running their course. Because things are going to try to happen. Bad things are going to be up in your face and it's going to look like it's already in progress. But it doesn't have to go any farther than the first presentation of it. And if we'll believe that he's redeemed us, we'll see a lot of victory. A lot of times when bad things happen, people sustain those happenings by talking about those bad things as if they're going to be there for a while. Oh, what are we going to do now? We got this and we got that. Yeah, and you're accepting something the Lord set you free from. And if it stays in your life longer than its you know, initial presentation, it's not because the Lord wanted it. It's not because the devil's big and bad. And it's not necessarily because you're a terrible person. The curse of, is going to try to cling to everybody. Do you realize that? Christ has redeemed us from the curse, but it, and it's going to try to cling to everybody. And being good is not how you live free. You're going to have to be a resistor of the devil also and a user of your faith. So I like to say it this way. Christ has redeemed me from bad things getting a hold of my life and running their course. So when something bad comes up in your face and you feel like it's already begun in your life, you can make the decision to let it run its course in your life, stay day after day, week after week, or you can say, No! I'm not going to accept this like I used to. It's not going to run its course. I stand against it. Christ has redeemed me from this bad thing, taking a hold of my life and taking me down a course. I'm redeemed. Stuff's going to come against us in this life, but it doesn't have to run a four-month course. It doesn't have to run a three-week course. Some of the stuff you can get rid of in a couple hours, maybe quicker as you develop in these areas. Just because it's happening doesn't mean it has to or it's supposed to or some mysterious reason God's will. A lot of it is just the curse trying to get to you. And if you keep talking about what is happening instead of what should happen, you'll open the door to whatever is being presented to you and it won't be the will of God. Got to get used to saying Christ has redeemed me from this thing running its course in my life. <clears throat> you may have presented yourself to me. I may feel something. I may see something. But uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. uh i am not going to let you run an abnormal course in my life. I resist this. Christ has redeemed me from this bad thing, whether it's financial or physical or marital or whatever, children problems. Uh -uh, Christ has redeemed me from this. You read the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy. It, it, this, this whole chapter talks about the blessings of doing God's will and the curses of not doing His will. And he spends way more time talking about the curses than the blessings because there's so many areas that this covers. And what's so cool about this is when you read the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, go to Galatians 3.13, 
Because if you can find your problem, and you probably can in Deuteronomy 28, you go to Galatians 3.13, it says Christ has set you free from all that stuff. Amen. So if you can find the bad thing in this book, you should rejoice because Christ sets you free from it legally. So a couple of the things that are not good that are supposed to come upon the disobedient is found in verse 33. God said, if you're, if you're going to just rebel and be disobedient and not repent, the fruit of your land, and back then this was their business, their livelihood, their life, the fruit of your land and all your labors shall a nation which you don't know eat up. What's that called? An attack on your finances. An attack on your stuff. Is there protection from this? Absolutely. They're going to eat up your inherent. They're going to eat up your increase. You shall be only oppressed and crushed always. Now, why should we rejoice when we read that? Huh? They shall be only oppressed and crushed always. Why should we go, praise God, at oppressed and crushed always? Because Galatians 3.13 says Christ has set us free from this stuff. This is called the curse of the law. Christ has set us free from being oppressed and crushed always. Christ has set us free from other nations and other people eating up our increase. Yeah. Bill collectors, interest rates, mortgages, whatever. How many want to be redeemed from that? Experientially. Yeah. All right. Next verse. So you shall be mad for the sight of your eyes, which you shall see all your stuff getting eaten up. Next verse. The Lord shall smite you. Now we know from the original Greek, it should read, the Lord will allow you to be smitten in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Next verse. The Lord will bring you and your king, which you shall set over you, a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, coming under another rulership. And there shall you serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord God shall lead you. You shall carry much seed out into the field. And remember we read about sowing and reaping works in the financial area. You shall carry much seed out into the field. Or you shall give a lot financially, but you gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. What's that called? Well, one thing it's called is not fun. Another thing it's called, it's called bad things happening to believers that don't have to happen. But how many of you found out just being a saved person, going to heaven when you die, doesn't mean these things automatically take care of themselves. The devourer doesn't care if you're saved. He's still going to attack you. He wants you broke. He wants you sick. He wants your witness blown. He wants you depressed. He wants you hungry. He wants your kids hungry. And here it talks about the locust consuming. In other words, these things are going to happen backed by the enemy to try to ruin your life. Say, I'm redeemed. From the locust, consuming my stuff. <laughs> or whatever is trying to consume it. Next verse. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you'll neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. What's that called? That's called getting a blessing from the Lord and the devourer devouring it. So if you really want to prosper, and you're going to have to not only believe for the blessing, you're going to have to believe for protection. 
Because a lot of this stuff breaking down prematurely, a lot of this stuff wearing out, engines and cars blowing, buying a lemon, all this stuff, a lot of this stuff is a curse of the law. And for one reason or another, the Lord was not able to protect some people in these areas. So protection must have a little bit to do with us appropriating some things the Lord's you know, told us to appropriate. If it was all up to God, not one believer would have anything bad happen to them. If just being saved caused these things to automatically work. So I think that's it. Go to the next verse. I don't think there's any more. Okay, yeah, you shall have olive trees. So let's say you're in the olive tree business <laughs> throughout all your coasts. But you shall not anoint yourself with the oil for your olive shall cast his fruit. What's going on here? Something is devouring the blessing. So what should we do, church? We should believe for the blessing and also for the protection so the blessing God gives us is not devoured. I think that's it. Next verse. Yeah. Then it talks about the curse coming upon your sons and daughters and not being able to enjoy your family. And say, I'm redeemed from all this. Christ has redeemed me from all of this stuff. And if you want that redemption to be experiential, not just legal, talk these verses. Christ has set me free from the curse of the law. All right. So turn to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. I'm sure you all have been reading the book of Haggai every day. The book of Haggai. All right, let me tell you, it's about three or four books to the left of Matthew. It's real close to the end of the Old Testament. And um, we'll turn to Haggai, and we're going to read verse 4, and we're going to read a few verses here. Haggai. So here's the Lord talking to the people of Haggai's day. He said, is it time for you people, O you, to live in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Talking about the house of the Lord. He says, is it, is, it time for you, is it time for you to live in your beautiful houses and God's house lie waste? That's a question, because that's what they were doing. Next verse. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now before you go to the next verse, we're going to read here that these people were being devoured. The enemy was ripping them off was causing stuff to break down, causing their businesses to fail, causing their money to go out like a, a bag with holes in it. And God's saying, listen, okay, so, so here's your state, right? Your houses are great, but the house of the Lord's not. But all these other bad things were happening to them. And God said, now, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If they wanted help, they need to consider their ways. And sometimes we have to do this. Next verse. You have sown much and bring in little. What's that? Well, other than not fun, <laughs> that's a curse. Something is getting, something is attacking their livelihood, their finances and their businesses, and it's prevailing. And God has an answer. It's really interesting. We won't really emphasize a whole lot of the answer. I just want to show you that attacks on finances and things is real. And we need to be believing for protection from that stuff. Amen. And a lot of it has to do with what you believe and how you talk. I'm not saying that's everything, but a lot of it has to do with how we believe and how we talk. If a problem's going to present itself to us, and we start talking more about the problem than the promises to fix the problem, the, prom the problems will last longer in your life than they have to. And it won't be because it's God's will. It won't be because the devil's so big and bad. It may not even be because of your sin. 
It may just be because you're not responding properly to something that's trying to attach itself to you. All right, so he says, you have not enough. Though you, you, you so much, you bring in little. Now, let me stop right here. I got to say this too. When, when we talk about, you know, grace and we're redeemed from the works of the law, we're not redeemed from work. We're redeemed from working to try to get something Jesus got for us. There's still work involved in a Christian life. We're created under good works. The faith without works is dead. And so we're not redeemed from sowing. How, how can you believe for a harvest as a farmer and pray and believe God for a harvest of tomatoes if you never sow any tomato seeds? Right. Can I just ask you this question? Can you walk out to a field, pray, believe God for corn to come up everywhere but not plant any corn? Nope. Why? I thought grace meant we didn't have to do anything. Listen, if, if grace meant we didn't have to do anything, then why do we have to listen to grace teachings? Because that's work. Are you following me? No, no, seriously. Some people go really far in this. They go too far. They say, well, you don't have to do anything to be blessed except listen to my teachings on grace and buy another cassette series and buy another CD series or whatever it is these days. Right? If, if you didn't have to do anything to be blessed, then why even listen to any more teachings? Why even go to work? Huh? It, okay, let's talk about an area of protection. All right, if we don't have to do anything to be protected, then stop brushing your teeth and just believe God for no cavities. Why are you going to brush your teeth? Well, number one, you're not stupid. And number two, you realize grace doesn't mean you don't brush your teeth and you still have perfect teeth. Grace means you have money to buy good toothpaste and a nice toothbrush. Right? And grace helps you to brush your teeth when you're too tired to do it. Right? And the result is you have nice teeth and you don't have cavities because grace helped you to get toothpaste, a toothbrush, to brush your teeth, and now you got the results by grace. <laughs> Just like tithing. Grace doesn't mean you don't tithe. Grace helps you tithe. And then grace gives you the results of tithing. Grace helps you to do, and grace helps you to receive the blessings of what you did by grace. A lot of people get this mixed up and they just... You know, here's one thing I found out. We're going to talk about this before we go. It's so interesting because you'll, you'll see this more clearly in just a minute. It's so interesting to me that everybody's okay with doing everything consistently, you know, like brush your teeth and um, even offerings and working. And uh, everybody's okay with doing all these things consistently and systematically except tithing. That's not for today. We can do whatever we want in that area. I mean, tithing has just been obliterated. We, we just do whatever we want in the giving area today. How many know there's a ton of things we do systematically and consistently every day of our life that are biblical and scriptural that we know are God's will? But when it comes to tithing, why is that one just, oh, whatever you want, whenever you want, it's up to you? I'll tell you why. Because people are very particular about what they do with what they love so much. You can tell me to go to church once a week like Jesus. You can tell me to pray an hour a day. You can tell me to do this and that, but don't you dare tell me what to do with my money. Don't you dare tell me it's a systematic, consistent thing under the New Testament. 
but we do a thousand other things consistently and systematically. But when it comes to tithing, no, tithe, no, no, no. We can do whatever we want in that area. Whatever we decide in our heart, we can do whatever we want. You know why people say that? Because of their tremendous love for money. You can tell me what to do with my attendance, where I should go on Sundays, what I should do about my prayer life, but don't ever tell me that I need to consistently and systematically do something with my money. They, they, they kind of missed the whole. And the reason I'm talking about that, because the Bible says if we will be tithers by faith, not by law, but like Abraham, by faith, God personally will rebuke this devourer for us. And you actually have something you can boldly say when something tries to devour you like, devil, you cannot devour this. God rebukes you for this. I mean, he said he would do it. He's told us to rebuke some things. But when it comes to this, he said, I'll rebuke it for you. Right. And sometimes you just got to speak right up and say, God rebukes this thing for me. This thing will not devour me. We're not going down financially. My business will work. Things will c come out right. I will get on top. Amen? Amen. I am the head and not the tail. Amen. You know, scriptures are to use. You, did, you do know that, right, class? Scriptures are to use, not just to know. They're to use them like you use a sword. And I, it, for me, it would be very difficult to say, God rebukes the devourer for my sake, but I'm not tithing, and I could. It'd be really hard for me to do that. No, we're not tithing. See, you understand, tithing was in progress way before the Levitical law said, tithe, children of Israel. Right. It, was a, it was an effect. Tithing, uh, the law regulated it, but it started way before from the hearts of men who really met God. There's something about having a true experience in confrontation with God that will cause you to want to at least tithe to His work. You don't need a scripture for it. You don't need, you, you, you just something in your heart between you and meeting God. It says, it says that, it said, Abraham met Melchizedek and gave him tithes of all. Melchizedek was Jesus Christ in the earth realm, basically. I mean, he's still mysterious today, but he's likened unto the Son of God. So, so Abraham meets, has a meeting with Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, king of peace. He meets him, and the first thing that comes out of him is he gives him tithes of all. Where did that come from? A true, real encounter with God. I know this sounds a little heavy, but it's midweek meat, right? Yes. Where did tithing originate? Not with the Levitical law. It was regulated through the law, but it had been practiced for hundreds of years before the law, approximately 400 plus back to Cain and Abel. They were offering things to the Lord. Nobody, yeah, they had no scripture to do it. It's interesting, you know, that Abraham, we have like 11 scriptures that are referring to tithing and more if you don't look at the word tithing, but other forms of tithe in the New Testament. And Abraham didn't have one. And he tithed. Jacob, his grandson, didn't have one scripture that said, you should tithe. And he tithed. 
after he had a dream and a deep, real encounter with God about the ladder in heaven, the angels ascending and descending, the portal that opened, and this encounter he had with God, the whole wrestling thing. First thing he did after that encounter with God is says, I will surely give you tithes of all that you blessed me with. Man, he could have said a thousand things there. Man, I'm going to fast and I'm going to quit watching football. And, you know, back then it was, I don't know what it was, stickball or whatever. But, oh God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Where, where, did, where did God, I'm going to tithe come from? Here he has this amazing experience with God. And the first thing that comes out of him is, I'm going to give you tithes of all, God. Everything you give me, I'm giving you a tenth back. We got some people that say, well, Abraham only tithed once. You can't say he was a tither all his life. Hey, do we have to record every time he prayed to say that he prayed all the time? Do we have to record every time, you know, he rejoiced to say he, why, why do you have, we just, he was a tither. And Jacob got it. Isaac obviously got it. And they, they had no scripture to tell him. They had an account. I put it like this, meet God and you will want to tithe. Just something about the spiritual experience you'll have with the Lord. Meet him and you'll want to tithe. Jacob met God and he wanted to tithe. Abraham met Melchizedek, God representative in the earth, and he wanted to tithe and he did. So really, if we had zero scriptures in the New Testament about tithing, it'd still be wonderful to do it because they did it without scriptures where it originated. And it's not about law. And people that feel like they have to, they have a bigger problem. Why don't you want to? And I, I agree with some of the <clears throat> people, but even though I don't agree with 90% of what they're saying, it's not a New Testament re requirement to tithe. Maybe not, but why wouldn't we want to do at least what they did under the Old Covenant? to support the work of God. And we're under a better covenant established upon better promises. And we have a hard time doing at least what they did under the old covenant. Did you know they gave about 23% of their income away in the Old Testament? There was a tithe to the ministers in the house of God. There was a tithe to, um, the, uh, that they got to eat themselves at certain times of the year. There was a uh, part of a tithe to the poor. They gave away over 20% of their income in the Old Testament. You know, the covenant that's not as good as ours. You know, with a mission not quite like our mission of preaching the gospel and getting souls saved. You get to the book of Acts, they're way beyond tithing. They're given lands and houses. Why? Because they knew they had a better covenant. They were touched by the real living God, filled with the Holy Ghost. They weren't filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament, and they were, you know, giving tithe, 10, 20, 23% or whatever. New covenant, they're like giving every, almost everything they got. They got two houses, they're giving one away. Yeah. Why? Because they had an encounter. A holy encounter of the God kind. How many want a close encounter with God? Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's times he will come on you so strong that you can't even hardly stand it. If you're hungry and you want that, get ready for times like that because he, he loves to fellowship with his people in that way. Do you see, church, that they sowed much, they brought in little, they didn't have enough, they drink, but they're not filled, they clothe themselves, but there's none warm. He that earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes in it. What's that called? That's called the enemy getting to your finances. Is there protection from this? Yes. Glory to God, I'm here to tell you some good news. You can walk in divine protection in the financial realm and in your possessions realm, Amen. this natural realm. You can walk in divine protection. They got wages, 
Praise the Lord. The Lord blessed them with a job and they got some increase, got some good things, got, got the trees, but something was eating it. This happens today. This were God's people back then. And it happens to God's people today. So go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3. Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to share some things with you in the next few minutes. I haven't, I don't know if I've ever shared before. So just believe with me. Father, we just pray that the rest of the service, that anything else you want said would be said accurately, clearly, scripturally, for your glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Help us to receive it and do it. Amen. Malachi 3. So most of us know these scriptures, but look at them in, in this light tonight. Malachi 3, verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances, God said. So hold on a second here. So something that was happening in these people's parents and grandparents and so on was trying to be passed down to them. Habits, thoughts, beliefs. You know, a lot, a lot of times people are just victims of their parents or their grandparents. They're, they're, things have been tried to be passed down. They picked up things unconsciously, uh, areas of good or bad. In this area, it was some things that weren't so good. Even from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances, God said, and you've not kept them. This was happening with their fathers, their, their grandparents, and now it's happening. But God's saying, you know what? It, doesn't, it can stop with you. you. You can change this. Just because it's been generation after generation doesn't mean it has to be in your life. So God said, you've not kept them. He said, return unto me, and I will return unto you. Now, you can look at that two ways. Talking about the people of God, getting back to a commitment to God, or we can talk about returning to God what is God so he can get to you what's yours. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? So stop right here. So God basically spoke to him and said, you guys, you need to return to me. And they're going, well, what do you mean? We go to church. We're nice people. Well, what do you mean return to you, Lord? They had this question. What are you talking about? I thought we were doing all right. You know, sometimes we need to know what we're not doing right. Yes, there's times we need spiritual pats on the back. Yes, there's times we need to be encouraged. But there's also times we need to know what's wrong. And so God said, so, so you say, well, where and shall we return? What do you mean, Lord? We love you. You're awesome. So sometimes God will get real practical with you. Next verse. Will a man rob God? Now, <clears throat> I know this can be preached in a wrong way. You God robbers. And that's probably inspired by the flesh. Or we can look at it for what it, he's really saying. He's saying, guys, I have some things in the earth realm. You're going to come upon some of those things now and then. And some of those things are mine. I mean, I think it's good to discern what the things of God are. You ever think about that term, the things of God? Jesus told Peter when Peter said, Lord, you're not going to the cross. No, 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 I'll never let it be. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't even know what spirit you're talking from. You're concerned more about the things of man than the things of God. 
Say things of God. There are things of God. When they were questioning Jesus about taxes and all this, trying to tempt him to get him off, Jesus said, hey, listen, listen, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. Do you ever discern what the things of God are that come through your life, come into your life? Do you ever, what are the things of God? He talks about one of them right here. The things of God. Everybody say the things of God. The Bible says in Colossians 3, Seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. Things of God, things above, things of, that, that are God's in the earth. What, what's God's? How do you think it's a good idea to discern what's His so we make sure it's in the category of His? Right? Now, I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Paul or Jesus or anybody ever said the things of God that were the things of God once are not the things of God anymore. Boy, it sure is quiet in here. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where it says tithing stopped. I see animal sacrifices stopped because Jesus is the lamb that was slain. But why would tithing stop if the work of God still needs supported in the earth? Why would tithing stop if the, if the blessings of these scriptures are not for today? Did I say that right? So will a man rob God? And of course the answer is no way. No way. No way would I rob God. Which simply means something of his comes into your life and you do something with it the way you want to instead of the way he wants it. So let's read on to you. You said, you've robbed me, but no, go back, go back. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, what? Lord, you get a low blow, man. What do you mean we robbed you? Wherein have we robbed you? Everybody say two things. Two things. Two things. Tithes, Tithes and offerings. And offerings. Now, there's a couple of things I need to say about this. People will say, well, that's for Israel. And I say, yes, it is. Can I show you real quick two scriptures that shows you and I are the Israel of God? Yes. Can I show you a couple of scriptures to show you that you're a Jew inwardly? Yes. Circumcision of the heart. Can I just show you a couple of scriptures real quick? Because a lot of people say, well, that's for Israel. Yeah. If you're not the Israel of God, then what are you? Well, okay, just look at Galatians 6 real quick. Galatians 6, New Testament, Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. I know, I know you think I'm preaching really good tonight. You're just being quiet about it. That's all right. <laughs> Galatians 6. And I want you to notice a scripture here near the end of the chapter. Uh, let's see. Verse 16. <clears throat> 
Well, actually, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He's talking about us new creatures in Christ. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. It's talking about new creatures in Christ. We are the Israel of God. Now, let me, let me show you a couple more scriptures in case that doesn't convince you yet. Um, look at Romans 2. And look at verse 28 and 29. Well, that's just for the Jews. That's just for the Jews. Tithing's just for the Jews. Well, maybe so. Verse 28. Romans 2, 28. For he or she is not a Jew which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in letter whose praise is not of men but of God. If you're a believer, you're a Jew. Inwardly, by circumcision of the heart. What made people Jews in the Old Testament was circumcision in the flesh. We're the Israel of God. We, we're Jews on the inside. Isn't that interesting? Well, look at Romans 9. Romans chapter 9. And look at verse 6. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. We're not just talking about something after the flesh here. They're not all Israel that are after, that are of Israel. There's a lot of people, Israel, who are not physically born of an Israeli. It's a spiritual Israel. Everybody that's born of a natural descendant of Israel or Israeli, they're not the only ones that are called Israel. Believers are called the Israel of God. So, go back to Malachi, and we'll try to wrap it up here. Malachi, because how many of you want protection on your finances? It's a big deal these days. I'm telling you, there is onslaught. I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen to the economy, but I do know this. We can still live in the blessing of God, and we can live in protection no matter what happens in the economy, no matter what happens in uh, uh, government, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens. We can still live in victory and prosperity and not be devoured because of our relationship and our walk with God. It has nothing to do with what goes on in this world. Actually, the Lord gave me this phrase a while back as I was praying out in our patio in the backyard of our house in the summertime. He, we were talking about sowing and reaping, sowing finances and operating the laws of sowing and reaping. He told me this specifically. He said the economy of sowing and reaping never crashes never crashes. The economy of sowing and reaping never crashes. So don't have all your investment in natural stuff. Right. Don't have all your investment. In, I'm telling you, I mean, we've got some investments in some stocks and all that, but I know that I know if I'm not sowing into the kingdom of God and I'm not supporting his work and I'm not being a tither and I'm not giving to his works and I'm not helping the poor, this economy could be upside down in two weeks. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not believing for that. But you know, there was a time in Acts chapter 11 where Agabus the prophet prophesied that a great famine was coming to the whole earth, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And it happened. That was a, uh, a forewarning of the Lord so the people would send relief to the people in Jerusalem who needed help because this famine was coming. A lot of times, prosperity has to do with being led by the Spirit about something that's about to happen. Joseph in Egypt. God revealed to him through a dream that six, was it six years, seven years of terrible famine were coming to Egypt. So Joseph basically got Egypt to store up all the grain they could so when that six, seven years came up, they'd have enough, enough to sell and to help other people with. And they made it through the famine because they listened to the leading of God. There's times the Lord will lead you to sell. There's times He'll lead you to save. There's times He'll lead you to sow. And it may not look in the natural like it's the right time. That's why you've got to be led by the Spirit. Learn His voice. Look to Him every day. Get in the habit of doing what He says. And then when He tries to lead you away from danger, it's not foreign. You've been listening to Him every day about every other thing. So back to Malachi 3. You Israel of God, you. <laughs> you Jews, you. Malachi 3, um, verse 8 again. Will a man rob God? You say, well, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. He said in verse 9, you are cursed. He didn't say, I curse you. He said, you are cursed with a curse. There's a curse in this world. And it can get to us if we live in certain zones and areas where it has a right to get to us. So he says, you're cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Aren't you glad that the word of the Lord to people who are off course is not, it's over. Sorry, dudes. You, you made your bed. You're going to have to sleep in it. Aren't you glad the word of the Lord, these people were off. And God's word to these people who were off was return to me. Here, I got a solution for you. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat and our provision in my house. Next verse, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes. This is their answer. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food or provision in my house. And back in those days, a tithe went to the Levites and the priests that worked in the temple. There was another tithe that went for some other things and there was another tithe that went for some other things. But one of the tithes was for the priests in the temple. You know, the tithe, the tithe money was never supposed to go to building projects. It was supposed to go to take care of the servants of God in the temple. When it came to building the temple, that was a special offering day. And in Exodus and in Chronicles, they got it all done in one day. Matter of fact, they got so much in the book of Exodus, Moses had to stand up and had to restrain the people from giving anymore because the stuff they brought was too much. Too much gold, too much silver, and Moses had to restrain the people from giving. Say, hey, listen, the temple is taken care of. Give somewhere else. We, we got more than enough. That's a good problem. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind one bit to have to stand up and say, people, you gave enough. That project's done. Now, we just happened to some projects, and those projects ended because enough and sometimes more than enough came in. Right. But here he says, he said, you need to be concerned about my house, my things. So really, if you look at this through New Testament eyes, and even Old Testament eyes, but if you look at it through New Testament eyes, he's talking about where's your heart. 
bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be provision in my house. And then he says, prove me here with, says the Lord of hosts. This is God talking personally. And, and if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven. Now, how many of that's a blessing? And he's going to pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough room to receive it. Okay, everybody say part A. I get the blessing. But you also want part B so the blessing isn't used up abnormally quick, leak out of the bag like it has holes in it. How many want the blessing? How many also want the protection after you get the blessing? I'll tell you, if people really knew what tithing was, they'd want their pastor to teach on it every single week until they got it down. I'm saying it again, if, if people really knew what tithing was all about, they'd want their pastor, they'd want teachings on it as much as they could get. Let's read it again. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food or provision in my house and prove me now here what says the Lord of hosts if I will not open you the windows of heaven pour you out a blessing that there shall not not be room enough to receive it. That means you just uh, got, you got to open up other bank accounts because they only federally insure 250000 this one. That's what he's talking about. Next verse. And God said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he will not destroy my blessing that came into your life, the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit or abort before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Next verse. All your neighbors are going to call you blessed. And you will be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. So when you go to sell your house, there are people who are going to have a supernatural desire to buy it because it's a delightsome land. Your tithing made it a delightsome land. Now everybody say this. I tithe, I tithe. by grace. grace. See so what I'm talking about? Working for something. No, no, no. We're talking about we have grace to do what we need to do. And the grace of God gives us the results of what we do. Yeah. It's all grace. It's all grace. Well, pastor, I have the windows of heaven open on me because I'm under grace. Well, no, that's not how it works. Do you have tomatoes because you're under grace? Or do you got to plant tomato seeds? Right. Do you get a paycheck under grace? Or do you still have to work? Huh? Do you have nice teeth because you're under grace? Or do you still need to brush your teeth? Right. Well, why, why, why do we understand that in all these areas? But when it comes to tithing, no, I can do that. I can do whatever I want with that tithe. I, but you can't do whatever you want with all this other stuff if you want results. Why when it comes to the tithe? I want to tell you why. There's two reasons. Number one, God hates the devil. He does not want his work supported in the earth. And number two, he wants you devoured. Does that make sense? The devil hates God's work. Yeah, why the devil... Said God hates the work. Why the devil hates tithing. Right. right. Because of what tithing does for the work of God yes. and what tithing does for the believer whom God loves. Right. Tithing is not works. Tith it depends on why you're doing it. Are you tithing to try to be blessed? Are you tithing because you believe you already are blessed? Yeah. And now you're just activating what's already yours. So let me just share this in closing because we have to go. Let me just read you a couple things here that I think will really bless you. <laughs> so did you see there where he said, um, wherein have we robbed you? He said, in tithes and offerings. So let me just show you this. How many of you think offerings are good under the New Testament? 
Raise your hand if you think offerings are New Testament. Why would we say tithing isn't? Right. Do we get to pick and choose? <laughs> One more scripture, Matthew 23, and I'll let you go. Go to Matthew 23. So say midweek. midweek. Meet. Meet. Okay, so you knew that before you came here, right? Um, we're going to read Matthew 23, one verse. Can you claim a harvest for sowing if you don't sow? Why? Well, one reason you, you're, you're not a little off upstairs. How many think a farmer would be a little off upstairs if he just prayed and confessed over his dirt that he was going to have a bumper crop this year? Hey, dude the Lord will grace you with seed if you'll just believe for it. And He'll also grace you with a good harvest if you just believe for it. Right? I don't know why we think protection is automatic in these areas, but when it comes to brushing our teeth, your teeth aren't going to be protected just because you pray and quote scriptures. Right? Oh, isn't this fun tonight? So in Matthew 23, okay, I'll, I'll just put these notes away. Let's look at Matthew 23. This, does God rebuking the devourer sound good to anybody? Hmm. When you enter into the tithing relationship with the Lord by faith, you know, not by works because you have to, but because you want to, and you want to support His work, you want to be a blessing to the church and its outreaches, when you start tithing, and um, I, I didn't go there, but... It says in Leviticus, well, let me ask you this. Do you, think, do you think it's a good idea under the New Testament to not rob God? Or do you think under the New Testament it doesn't matter? Is it okay under the New Testament to rob God? No. Are there any things of God in, under the New Testament? Is there any things of God that, you know, I mean, things of God? Yeah, it's all over the New Testament. I did a whole series on making room for the things of God, to be able to do the things of God in the earth. There's a lot of things of God. Um, you know, so let's read this here. Matthew 23, 23. I didn't repeat myself. I'm talking about verse 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These, judgment, mercy, and faith, he ought to have done, and tithing, don't leave that undone either. He's not saying don't tithe. He's saying tithing can't take the place of these other areas. You need to do all four of these things. He's saying you're doing the tithing of the mint, anise, and cumin, but you're pushing aside justice, mercy, and faith. It says judgment in the King James, justice, mercy, and faith. Well, what is he saying is a matter of the law? Because you're, oh, I'm not under the law, I'm not under the law, I'm not under the law. <laughs> you're not under the Levitical law that has to do things that Jesus already did for us. All right? This here says justice, mercy, and faith are matters of the law. Question, is justice, mercy, and faith for us today? Is justice, mercy, and faith for us today? Are those matters of the law? Are they also matters of the New Testament life of a believer? 
Yeah, I, don't, I don't see justice passing away. I don't see mercy passing away with the old covenant. And I don't see faith passing away. No. Then why would we say tithing did? Right. Huh? Right. Tithing has not passed away. Um, what's passed away is good, solid teaching on it and a heart to do it because of you know, a million other things, reasons why people don't want to. But tithing is a powerful thing we should want to do by faith. You'll go to heaven if you don't do it, and God will love you if you don't do it. But there are some things you really can't boldly claim unless by faith you're doing it. Don't do it like they did under the Levitical law. Do it like Abraham did it by faith and you'll see rewards and blessings in your life for doing it by faith because it takes it out of the work zone and into the love zone. And you'll be rewarded. Things will happen for us if we do this. It's just like you can't expect a harvest, man. If you don't plant seeds, well, how can we expect protection in some of these areas if we don't tithe by faith? I just wanted to show that with you. I really believe tithing is one of the most powerful things you can do to see your finances protected and blessed. But don't just tithe. You know, obey the Lord in every other area too. Make sure all the ingredients are there. But believe it's working. Talk like it's working. Don't put up with the curse of the law. It have to, it's not supposed to cling to you. Let's stand up. Say this before you go. I believe with all my heart that I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I believe with all my heart my sowing works. My tithing works. I tithe by faith like my father Abraham. I expect the grace of God to come mightily upon me in, in my finances. As a result of my tithing with the help of the grace of God, I claim the blessings of God. They belong to me. In Jesus' name, amen.